We started a new sermon series last week, Life in the Middle. What do you do when you're in the middle of something, a middle of a relationship, a middle of work, middle of serving, or just years upon years in a church family? What do you do when the new has worn off? We're looking at Jesus's public ministry, and it should not be a surprise to us that as we go through the Gospel of Mark, when you get to the middle, things can be tough. It should not be a surprise. I, I almost had a big surprise this week. Uh, my wife, because of my recent COVID illness, decided without letting me know to get an antibody test. And so she texted me in the middle of the week, hey, just want to let you know I have a surprise for you. I said, okay. I'm thinking, hey, maybe a meal, maybe this, maybe that. And then all of a sudden she sent a picture along with that. So I didn't know she was getting an antibody test. I have a surprise for you, and she sends along the test. I don't know if you've had this test, but there are three to four to actually five tests where my wife went that are on that test result form. Do you know what the first test result is? Pregnancy. I have a surprise for you, and I look at the word pregnancy, and the two, I mean, 0.2 seconds it took me to scan over to see the result negative were like eight decades is what it felt like for me to scan over. Because we are at life in the middle, right? It shouldn't be a surprise to us what life can be like in the middle, the middle of years of parenting or in a friendship when you hit some difficult times or just life together and the fun of church family together, we want to look at Jesus' life. He's a year in now to his public ministry. We looked last week at chapter 6, and we saw his rejection at Nazareth, that the people even in his hometown, and Jesus is even surprised by this, their lack of belief. Not only is it lack of belief, but it's outright rejection to the point uh, where there's some horrible things that they say of Jesus. You're just the son of Mary. You're a common worker. But what does Jesus do with life in the middle? What does he do during that season of rejection? I love the heart and life of our Savior. He still gives himself away. In a time when it should have been time to circle the wagons, hey, I want you 12 to go out and share the gospel heal people, free them from spiritual oppression. No, the temptation is to hoard, to hold, to keep. And I love how our church family's doing it, and I love how you're doing it in your neighborhoods or with your friends or at work. In a season of pandemic, it can be easy to circle the wagons, and yet to hear story after story of how you're serving or seeing how our church continues to serve each other, but also our community and the world through this. That was our Savior's life. And as you follow down through chapter 6, it gets worse. John the Baptist is killed. And then the feeding of the 5,000. And we said last week, you go over to John's gospel. We love that story. That's a hard story because after he preaches the bread of life sermon in John 6, pretty much everybody leaves Jesus. They can't handle that teaching. This is a hard season. Life in the middle can be tough. So what else does Jesus do as we look through our passage here? If you're a note taker, I want to give you five words. The first word is from, chapter of, from verse 34, and it's compassion. It's a word you see in the life of Jesus over and over. You see it in his teaching when he talks about the prodigal son in Luke 15. That's the reason 
That's the reason the father runs to his boy. He was moved with compassion. That word that, that means your belly is turned over and over. Same thing going back, I think, to Luke 10 and the teaching of the Good Samaritan. That's why he gets down and helps. Unlike the others, he feels or is moved by that word compassion. And you see it over and over again in the life of Jesus. You see it here. You see it with a widow in Luke 7, feeding a hungry crowd in Mark 8. You see it with the healing of blind men in Matthew 20, and on and on. This is a a beautiful and encouraging picture of our Savior in a season where I don't know that he felt it. You've been there? In a hard season, in a relationship, or in work, or in, in a group, you may not feel it, and yet Jesus rightly is moved. This is what we do. When people are hurting, we keep serving. Where people are hurting, we meet a need. And I love, too, as we, as we look at his, at his life, how we serve a God who is not untouched by our suffering and our struggles. Allah is too high to to, to dabble in humans' feelings and struggles. Buddha says to be truly human, you detach yourself from emotion and suffering. You almost have to become inhuman to be human. And Jesus, as we've been studying the book of Proverbs and starting on Wednesdays, is a high priest who knows what it is to be tempted. He is a high priest who sympathizes with our weakness. He's been through it all with us. And so we have a God that we, we rightly celebrate who knows what it is to hurt, who knows what it is, we think, as we said last week, to grieve. Probably his stepfather's dead at this point. He knows what it is to lose. He's just lost John the Baptist here. And yet, when he sees need, he is moved in his belly. And by the way, y'all, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That, that, that applies to you. If there's a need in your life or hurt in your life, our God is a God who was moved in his belly. And I love this about Jesus too, because this is not some some kind of warm fuzzy. You've been there in the South, right? You express a need to somebody and what do they say? Oh, bless your heart. (laughs) Or I'll be thinking of you, right? Or I'll get a casserole to you. We do. And that's good. Bring me a casserole. Um, Discompassion, this moving of his belly, the seeing of needs and the breaking of his heart leads to action over and over again in the life of Jesus. It's not just that he senses and and hurts for a need, but I love that it stirs him up to do something about it. And by the way, read this passage. What does he do with it? It's very interesting. So many times it's a healing. So many times it's a feeding. What does he do here? He teaches the people. That's their need. He sees that they're a shepherd, Uh, They're without a shepherd, and so the one who is the word of life, the one who's the master teacher says, let me gift you with this because I know this is what you need, and he teaches them. I think it's one of the great problems of our world today. Nobody wants to be under teaching. Everybody wants to say, this is my opinion, this is what I feel about it, and they won't be under the word, and they won't be under, uh, whether it's a Sunday school teacher or, 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 or somebody to disciple them. What you see in the life of the early disciples, before revival comes, before the Holy Spirit drops, what does Jesus do in Matthew 28 and also in Acts 1? He teaches the the disciples. Teaching comes before revival. 
And you see the early disciples right after Pentecost. They're under the disciples' teaching, and then ministry blows up and thousands come to know the Lord. It's a great reminder to us as believers to be faithful to what the Word says about Jesus' life and the model he gives for us. We've got to be under teaching. So, a wonderful and beautiful picture first of our Savior. He's moved in his belly, and that, and that, that, that compassion comes out in action every time with Jesus. The second word I would give you, compassion, and then verse, uh, this reminder here in Mark 6, I can't give you a verse, but you just see it throughout, is contrast. We saw it last week when you looked at Mark 5 and 7, you've got great examples, Jairus and the woman with the blood issue, or in Mark 7, with the woman who's begging for a spiritual freedom for her daughter, or the, or the group of people who bring a handicapped person to Jesus. You see great faith But the contrast in Mark 6 is his hometown doesn't have any faith. You see that contrast here as well. Can I say something? And I want to be very careful how I say this, so please hear this well. I do not mean to say this in a way that would stir up any kind of issue. But my son, um, while we were serving in North Jackson, went to McLeod Elementary School for first through third grade. Uh, He was in his homeroom. He was one of only uh, two white people in that room. He had, there was a girl, Rachel, who was there, and then my son, and, and then uh, the rest of the class was black. We had a great experience at McLeod Elementary School. Loved our time there. Sarah and I were PTA. Joseph had great experience first through third grade, except for one particular day in first grade. He came home crying, and I mean crying hard. And we said, Joseph, what, what's the matter? What, what happened today? It was baby picture day. And he couldn't, this is my son who's now a chemical engineer. He couldn't understand how they immediately picked his picture. Now think about that. A room full, he's the only white boy in the whole class and he's got crazy blue eyes and Rachel, the girl, has crazy green eyes but he couldn't put it together how they would pick his baby picture like that. The contrast was so sharp. And the contrast in in Mark 6, sadly, for his hometown in Nazareth, was very sharp in their unbelief. And what you're seeing here is a reminder, too, of the contrast that has to be in the believer's life. We've just come from the murder of John the Baptist. And they're eating, and they're great festivities, and they think they're somebody And then you see Jesus' disciples who are risking everything and they have nothing in their belly and they're considered worthless. There has to be a sharp contrast in the believer's life. When you and I know Jesus, there has to be a contrast from what's in the world. It's always a great check for us, as we heard so beautifully sung this morning, to be holy means to be set Apart, We've got to spend that time with Jesus. We'll talk about in a second. But once we spent that time with Jesus, as they said, that should cause us to look like Jesus. We serve differently. We speak differently. We live differently. We parent differently. We do marriage differently. We do life differently. There's hard contrast throughout the book of Mark, and they've got to be clear in the believer's life. So what about these disciples? Three more words. What what do we see in their life? I love that we see first in verse 30, just their report or how they reflect. What do they report about their life? And I love the kind of ministry that they report. 
In verse 12 through 13, it says, we preached and we healed and, and you see, or at least, and excuse me, verses 12 through 13 show what they did. They preached whatever Jesus said preach, and it was repentance. That's what they preached. And they did whatever Jesus told them to do. By the way, that's a good word for us, church. Are you believing the promises of Jesus over your life? What did he tell them to do? Not just preach, but I'm giving you all authority, not only to heal, but over the spiritual authorities. And they did it. They believed it. Jesus said we could do this, and they did. They were exercising. Do you believe that? Do you believe that for yourself? Whatever Jesus has said he wants to do in your life, whatever Jesus has said he wants to do through your life, these disciples who stumble and bumble over a lot in the Gospel of Mark, they take Jesus at his word, and they go do what he said to preach. They go do what he said to do. I love their faith, and I love their expectancy. And then so they've come back to say, this is what we've done, and this is what we've taught. And I love it's that twofold ministry because everything that they do reflects and mirrors the life of Jesus. Jesus had a ministry of the word and, and a ministry of works. They go out and preach repentance, and Jesus, there's not as much teaching in Mark, but they're, that, right out of the gate, his first sermon is preaching repentance and the kingdom's coming. And then also he's got this ministry, and you're going to see it here, of healing and, uh, physically, and, 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 and you see it in verse 56. So you've got the ministry of the word of teaching in verse 34, and then the ministry of works and healings and miracles in chapter 56. And y'all, as a church, it's always got to be both. It's got to be both. This year, our church, I, I think I told you recently, partnered with uh, Shade and Fresh Water Project in Brazil with the Reverend Emily Everett. She's a global missionary through the Methodist Church there. And I love that that ministry ministers to kids on the street and they do twofold ministry. Not only do they do the ministry of the word, and they're very careful about that, but they feed kids. They teach kids. They walk with kids because most of these kids don't have both, both parents work, and in Brazil, you go to school for only a third of the day or half the day, and so you're on the streets for a large portion of the day. But the Methodist church there in Brazil has said, we're going to minister to those kids, and it's going to be both. In the early Methodists, and I love this, in the Holy Club that John Wesley and Charles had pulled together, it's interesting, yes, they did rigorous Bible study, and they were, they were so committed to growing in the Lord. I think they were the first to do death row uh, visitation. Nobody did stuff like that. But the early, early, early Methodists said, we'll go there. They were the first to do ministry to male and female prostitutes. The church has to go there. Speak a word, yes. But to be present with and minister to, yes. It's always both. And I love that about the ministry we support through our church. Whether it's the Moody's in Honduras or Salt and Light, and just to hear their strategies for ministry. Yes, lifting up the Word of God. We need to know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. But then to do that commitment of doing life with people and staying in relationship with people and serving people and feeding people and helping people, that's the ministry of Jesus and that's what gets reported back. Sometimes we can, we can emphasize one or the other in our own walk. It's a good time to reflect. Are, are, we, are we being faithful when the opportunity comes up, not every time, to share the word? Or, or I'm just going to be a good example. By the way, we need that good example. We need people who will serve. We need people who will pray for. We need people who will go to. 
But it's got to be it's got to be both. John tells us in John 1.14 that when Jesus was made incarnate, when Jesus came to us, when the word was made flesh, he came full of grace and truth. It's got to be both. And you see that here. These disciples, they don't live out well much of what Jesus says in Mark's gospel. They get this right. They preach and they do. They say a word, but they also serve well. And then this word that Renee uh, talked, talked about to us so well, verse 31. They go out, they serve hard, they do incredible things, and Jesus sees the pressing needs around them, and when they come back, and says, tell you what, let's go to a lonely place, and I want to call you to rest. It's a good word. In the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of, of life, of, of, of serving a spouse in a hard time, or walking with your kids through a decade or two of parenting, or serving in a church family for years, the, we have to carve out time to take a breath and to refresh. Some of us are Christian martyrs where we just gut it out. I wonder, how, I wonder if these disciples who were so excited to be able to preach repentance and then see the ministry of God through their lives, they're seeing people actually healed. And they're seeing people who are, who are being set free from spiritual oppression. And they come back to Jesus. Look at these crowds. Hey, let's go get them. And Jesus says, stop. You need to take time for rest. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And he, and he calls these men. He calls us. Yes, get after it. But there always has to be a rhythm and a pattern for you and for me to rest. That's God's plan throughout the scripture, and some of us fight it. We push back on it, and we need to hear again the truth from Jesus here and throughout scripture. There's a story I read one time of a mom uh, taking her kids, and we've, many of us have been there, parents or grandparents or friends, just racing. We've got so many things going on, and this was a typical mom who was racing and had been pulled over for the upteenth time, and I want to read what one pastor said about that. Said, after the officer had left, we took off again after being pulled over. And my mother was very careful and stayed under the speed limit. And after a few minutes had passed, we started hearing a strange noise coming from our vehicle. And one of the, the oh, excuse me, the mother asked, What's that noise? And I laughed and I said, Mom, that's the sound of slow. She had never heard slow in a long time. And I get it. Listen, we are pressing to bless our kids. We're pressing to bless our church family. We're pushing and racing to serve our community. And there's something very right about that. These disciples got after it. And after this few moments of rest, we're going to see people run on ahead. And they're going to walk right into needs. And Jesus is going to meet needs again. But it's this reminder from Jesus, we've got to find time for rest. If we don't, there's going to be fallout. Spe literally fallout. I was there. I was in the radius of Three Mile Island when that largest nuclear uh, uh, accident happened in our country's history. You know when it happened? It happened at night. You know when Chernobyl happened? It happened at night. You just count so many of the accidents that happened. I, I wonder if so much of that is because we don't rest well. One of the largest uh, churches in the country, their pastor 
had made a call, and it was a long-distance call, so this was years ago when you, you got through that call as quick as, you, quick as you could because it cost a lot of money, right? And so he was talking with his mentor, and he was pressing him, just trying to get some ministry ideas and, and how to go about life. And he was, he was in a place where, like many of us, he was just in a season of hurry, just racing with piano lessons and soccer and life and ministry and, and commitment to community and, and was just racing. And so he called this mentor and he said, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? And after a long pause, the mentor said to him, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And after several minutes, this megachurch pastor absorbed that and said, great, keep going. Tell me, what do I need to do for my spiritual health? And again, there was another long pause. And his mentor said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. There's nothing else. By the way, it's interesting. For all that Jesus did in his ministry of word and works, go back to Mark 5. And watch him with Jairus' daughter and to get interrupted by the woman with the blood issue. Jesus is never in a hurry. Jesus' life, for all that he did, you don't see hurry. And here's what that megachurch pastor said. I've concluded that my life and the well-being of the people I serve depends on following that one prescription. For hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry destroys souls. They had worked hard. Church, we've got to work hard. We've got to serve hard. We've got to love hard. But then we have to rest. A.W. Tozer says it this way. We Christians must simplify our lives or lose untold treasures on earth and in eternity. Modern civilization is so complex as to make the devotional life all but impossible. The need for solitude and quietness was never greater than it is today. That's why it was so wonderful to hear those words. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. People do not need our memories of Jesus. People do not need our memorized facts of Jesus. When people meet us, they need Jesus. That's the great need of our world today. And so you and I have to carve out time for him. Rest with him so that when people bump into us, they bump into him because we've been with him well. Get after it, yes. But I love the call of Jesus here, who always had kingdom on his mind. His call is come away. Come away for a time of rest. You need to hear that word today, wherever you are in life in the middle, that my relationship, we need to take a breather together. Or, or in my work, I need to take a deep breath so I can, I can better serve people in my workplace. Or how is that in your spiritual life? And then this last word, very quickly, is reach. I love how in chapter 33, they're trying to rest and already in, not chapter, verse 33, they run ahead on foot, can't wait for them to get off the boat so they can get ministered to. And you see the same thing with the crowds when you go down to verse 55 where it says, they ran about that entire country and began carrying here and there on the pallets those who were sick to, to wherever they heard Jesus was. Wherever he is, wherever he is, People scramble for that. For you who went through Katrina, do you remember any time you found a gas station, what did you do that had gas? What did you do? Boom, 
You're on the phone, calling your parents, you're calling your friends. This one's open. You remember that? We kind of forget about that, but we were scrambling uh, for many of us. I was down in McGee where it was basically even that far north. It was a war zone after Katrina. Just, hey, somebody's got gas or they're giving away ice. We get on the phone and scramble. People who had met Jesus scrambled to get their loved ones and to get their friends to Jesus. That's the picture throughout Mark. Mark 1.32, they're bringing the ill to Jesus. Mark 2, 1 through 12, those friends getting up on a roof and going down. Uh, here, Mark 6, chapter 7, again, those friends bringing that uh, person who's handicapped to Jesus on and on and on. It's a great reminder. The need doesn't stop. And we need to be about that need. Jesus gets off that boat, has compassion for them, begins to teach them, ministers to them. But it's, it's, it's the reminder of why we need rest, but then also after we've rested to get back after it. That's the model in Mark. His disciples, the people who've bumped into Jesus, scramble to get people back to Jesus. What do you do? What do you do with life in the middle where you may not be feeling it, but you know in your gut the compassion of Christ is compelling me to serve. I love, the, I love the response of our Savior, that what breaks his heart is what breaks his Father's heart. It's a great reminder to us as a church, but also as Christ followers. Do the things that break God's heart break our heart and force us to action? What is the contrast, the deeper contrast that needs to be in your life? can't miss it here in the murder of John the Baptist and those two contrasts of those two groups. What needs to be more clear about your life? As we look at the disciples, what they report is it's a twofold ministry. It's not just saying the word, but it's reaching and doing and serving. How do you and I need to make sure that we're doing both well? What about rest? You resting? You taking that time? And then after you've taken that time, how are you reaching? Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this time in your word to learn more of our, our, our Savior's work, of his ministry of word and works, but also to see our, ourselves in and through the crowds and the disciples that we know we have a desperate need as they did for our Savior, for our salvation, for our sanctification, for our healing, for our rest. And I pray for all of us that we just rightly respond to this word, that we would be so intentional and careful to rest well. I pray we'd be careful and intentional to the ministry of the word and works. Father, help us to have a heart to reach people as those early disciples did, uh, to, be, to be quick to serve, quick to tell, uh, quick uh, to share. Thank you for the compassion of our Savior and for anybody in this room or watching uh, this service right now. I pray that we would know that our Savior is moved with compassion when he sees a need. Whatever we're going through, our Savior is broken for us. Praise you, Jesus, for that. Give us your compassion. Make our lives clear for you that others will know of who you are. We pray all these things in, in your precious and holy name. Amen.